You're listening to Radically Pragmatic, a podcast from the Progressive Policy Institute. We talk with lawmakers, policy experts, and thought leaders about the issues driving the news nationally and internationally. The Progressive Policy Institute is a catalyst for policy innovation and political reform with offices in Washington, D.C. and Brussels. Its mission is to create radically pragmatic ideas for moving America beyond ideological and partisan deadlock. We encourage analytical conversations, not your typical partisan talking points. Welcome to Radically Pragmatic. I'm Jeremiah Johnson, one of the founders of the Center for New Liberalism and host of the Neoliberal Podcast. We're sharing an episode of the Neoliberal Podcast featuring myself and PPI President Will Marshall, focusing on immigration. We discuss our different approaches to this topic, the best immigration policies versus the most politically pragmatic immigration policies, and how to find common ground. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. So this is something that, you know, you and I have been talking about kind of informally for a long time is how America should be dealing with immigration policy. Obviously, it's like a very charged topic politically. And there's a couple angles you can kind of come at this term. You can you can come at it from like the the very academic side of like what's the um What's the optimal thing to do according to this theory? You can come at it from the political side. There's lots of ways to kind of tackle this issue. But I thought it would be really interesting to just sit down and kind of figure out where we are different, where we're the same, and kind of what the best way is to move forward. Because, you know, we we all want America to, you know, accept some level of immigration, right? And we all want America to succeed and and you know immigrants to succeed and and so i guess to start out how do you think about this issue like what's your history of of how you think about immigration what are the first things you think about when you think about immigration as a topic okay where, sure. where are you coming from here i guess basically yeah. <laughs> well look i mean i you know i'm going to start with wearing my political hat as you know jeremiah i run a think tank uh, it's the first i've heard of it <laughs> and I, i'm always thinking about you know, how we can create a governing agenda, ideas for governing that attract uh, majorities for the party that I care about, and that's the Democrats. And so, uh, as it happens, immigration is a big obstacle to that. Um, The Democrats are underwater on immigration. The public trusts Republicans more than they trust us. Uh, and the recent history of immigration policy, that is going back to the Trump years, is that we can't trust the Republican Party to uh, put together a sensible, humane uh, immigration policy. So the Democrats have got to do it. We've got to step up and grapple with this problem. You know, it's a really uh, fraught issue. It's a complicated issue, but it is not an issue that w- that the political leadership of this country can afford to ignore because there are too many people that think the system is broken down fundamentally and needs to be fixed. So uh, right now, center-left parties like the Democrats, and I I encounter this in Europe a lot too, center-left parties are are a bit timid about talking about immigration because they don't want to be lumped in with nativists and xenophobic people like Donald Trump and Stephen Miller and, and their counterparts over there in the far right of Europe. But silence is death. We have to we have to tell people we know there's a problem. We know the system's broken, that our laws do need to be enforced and more than that, modernized. And that we Democrats are going to take that responsibility on. It's interesting, obviously, to draw a parallel to the Republican Party, because I do think that you're right in that a lot of the Democratic response here is not just that, you know, Democrats are in favor of immigration and Democrats are, you know, they tend to be more the party of people of color, you know, over the last mm-hmm. 50 or 60 years, that's been the case. And and certainly, you know, they do better with black and Latino voters and with Asian voters. Um, we can argue about whether that trend is going to be permanent or not, but I think that predisposes them to be favorable to immigration. But then you look at Republicans who have just become, you know, They've left the Ronald Reagan days when Reagan would extol the virtue of the the immigrant and and how, you know, immigrants made America strong. And Reagan even did like a a big amnesty. 
And now they've become very, very nativist, you know, bordering on just outright racist, depending on which particular politician you're talking about. And I think Democrats are very, very hesitant to give any ground because mm -hmm. for a lot of people, it seems like if you give ground, then you're empowering the racists to some extent. Yeah, I understand that, but it isn't an adequate answer to a real problem. Uh, you know, uh, partisans can say, well, look, uh, that's an issue that Republicans care about. And, you know, we're for more immigration and, and we're not going to join uh, the issue. We're not going to grapple with public dissatisfactions with the immigration system uh, because to do that lends credence to the Republican critiques. But that's not the way politics works. You, you, you know, we, uh, you know, ideologues and party partisans don't get to set the voters agenda. The voters do. And uh, right now, two thirds, about two thirds of the U.S. public thinks that Im the immigration system is broken and in need of major reform, a, a big overhaul, not tweaks. So that's the context we're dealing with. Um, but you're right. The, the the big change is that the Republicans used to be uh, not so nativist. Uh, they were, uh, they in, in fact, uh, the libertarian uh, wing of the Republican Party was probably more pro-immigration than Democrats ever were. But we got to be a little careful here too, Jeremiah, because you know, yes, uh, Democrats represent a diverse a diverse uh, voter base. Black and Latino, uh, increasingly Asian uh, Americans, and that's all true. But that doesn't correlate to a clear line on immigration policy. Black voters have always been um, ambivalent about immigration. Yeah, that's totally. I totally agree with you there. That e even with Latino voters, which is typically oh they love immigrants, it it's not that clear cut all the time. Yeah, and and as you just said, Latino voters are actually telling us. In places like the Rio Grande Valley down in Texas, we're 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 getting overwhelmed here, and uh, you've got you know you the national government can't leave local communities high and dry. You've got to help us. You got to help the states, and so it 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 it's it's complicated uh, in that sense. But it but there's no question that if you ask you know Americans where they where they uh, generally fall on immigration, the Democrats are more likely to say it's good for the country. And today's Republicans, in contrast with yesterday's Republicans, are more likely to say, no, we're not so sure it's good for our economy or sort of our cultural unity. There is some cause for hope, for me at least, where, you know, I am a partisan of immigration. I, you know, in an academic sense, you know, beyond the politics, I just think it's very, very good for the country. I'm always happy when it's, you know, there's more immigrants coming in. And I feel hopeful because I think that polling, you know, it, it, it remains kind of a hot button issue, but it's certainly, to me, it looks like it's getting better over time. You can look at polls like, you know, th there's a famous Gallup poll they've been doing since the 60s that says, you know, in your view, should immigration be kept at the present level or increased or decreased? And if you go back to like the 70s and the 80s, increase was like 7%. It was it was a negligible position for people to want immigration actually to increase. Um, but these days, it's it's kind of, you know, through the 90s, it got up into the 15s and the 20s. And these days, it's actually about a third for each group, you know, one third decrease, one third increase, one third about stay the same. Mm -hmm. So I think you're right. There's not, you're right in the sense that there's not really a pro, you know, massive immigration majority in America. But it, it's it's kind of just this closely contested thing, and I guess maybe that's why it's a culture war issue now. Is when it when it becomes closely contested, that's when it really heats up. Well, another way of of saying that, I guess, is to note that an old consensus is broken down, and uh, and you have to ask yourself why is it broken down. Well, uh, you put your finger on one reason that is. Uh, Fear of cultural displacement, that, that's certainly motivating a lot of white voters who've been drawn to Donald Trump's camp. Uh, but it's also true that we've just, you know, really had a huge uh, influx of immigrants. You know, we now have in the United States uh, 45 million immigrants, 13.7% uh, of our population 
which is just short of the record high that we uh, saw back in 1890. Back the old Irish waves of Irishians, Italians, you know. <laughs> yeah, Irish, Russian, uh, you know, Jewish. We had, mm-hmm. you know, uh, my Scandinavian uh, ancestors uh, on one side came over on that in that wave. But the point is that, you know, immigration is always uh, recurrently controversial issue in the United States when we've absorbed a lot of immigrants and and people feel like it's they're being overwhelmed. Yeah, you could say that goes all the way back to the 1800s too. Yeah, the the no nothings yeah. and you know the old uh, no Irish right. need apply and, and and all that kind of stuff. Right, and so they may be wrong or right, but one in democracies does have to you know pay <laughs> some attention to public opinion. Uh, but but what happens now is that the cost of the uh, of, of very high uh, in, immigration are concentrated in a few in, in few places. They're not uh, they're not distributed evenly across the U.S. landscape. Uh, and you know we're just we're we're getting a lot of angst from places like I you know I go back to the Rio, Rio Grande border because that's traditionally been Democratic Latino dominated. And now our Latino friends and, and Democratic Congress people are telling us, hey, we're losing ground here. It's not all about immigration. There are, there are other cultural uh, facets of that, too. But it's certainly a big issue for them because they see that they've been left alone to deal with a flood of people that for which there aren't quite enough jobs or social services, and which sometimes bring, you know, order and law and order problems in their wake. And you've got to find seats in schools. So the practical problems that the company that the country is not dealing with in terms of absorption and uh, and assimilation, uh, and that is related to the pace of immigration. I mean, we saw you know uh, last year in twenty two we had a record two point four million migrants intercepted at the U S Mexico border, and that that broke the previous year's record of one point seven million migrants. So. Scale matters. Um, all Americans understand that we're always going to have immigration, uh, that we have an, an economic need for migrants, and that migrant and immigrants have traditionally enriched America in manifold ways, not just economic. I think that's understood broadly, but uh, the pace and scale of it matters. Where it's where it's pinching communities more matters. And the feeling is that we're not enforcing laws, they've broken down totally, and that uh, we don't really have a rational immigration policy. And I agree with that. I think that's the more fundamental problem that, um, you know, it's not, to me, it's not just getting control of the border or making sure that, you know, employers like Donald Trump's uh, golf courses don't uh, don't uh, purposely seek out and <laughs> hire illegal immigrants to get a break on wages, uh, but it is you know what is this what is that, what are our immigration policies designed to do for the country? How do they align with our national interests and needs? We haven't asked that question really since 1965. Well, well, let's let's do it now because one of the things I'd love to do here is to kind of separate the the optimal from the political. And so I'm going to ask you to do something that I know you don't do very often, and that's like totally disregard the politics here, and let's let's make Will Marshall the the God Emperor of America. Um, Sounds good. And, and in in your mind, if you didn't have to worry about public backlash or about you know just what what the political consequences would be, what would you like to see out of a an immigration system in America? What how do you conceive of this? And like when you say it's not optimized very well, yeah. how would you like to see it optimized? Would you like to see the level of immigration go up or down? Would you like to see different types of immigration or, or to have it handled differently? Like what's your – and we'll, I want to get to the politics. We're going to talk about what we can actually accomplish in, in a little bit. But without having to worry about that, what would you like to see? I'd like to see, uh, in the first instance, a safe, orderly, and humane immigration policy, because I think if we could construct that, it would move immigration out of the political arena some. Uh, and I think that's the that's the felt demand of most Americans. You know, that's what they want. They know nobody, you know, I mean, Stephen Miller maybe thinks we're not going to take any immigrants, but we're going to. So the question is how you do it. And if we could get a safe and orderly and humane system... Uh, then I think 
this issue would recede to the sidelines uh, somewhat. And that's what I'd really like to see. It doesn't need to be a culture war issue unless avid cultural warriors uh, insist on it and, and unless we have an empirical reality that abets them because it's out of control. So that would be the first thing I'd say. The second is that knowing what I know about the nation's demographics, we're going to need more immigrants in America. Look, I mean, my wife's an immigrant. I love immigrants. You know, we're going to need more. <laughs> but uh, again, our, the citizens of this country have the right to decide how many more and on what terms they, they come into the country. And I don't think we've sort of asked those questions in a long while. Uh, and so I would love to see legal immigration expanded, but uh, I don't think we'll ever get there if we don't reduce the influx of illegal immigrants. Um, so, uh, and I should say, you know, because so many of the people that come to America are not just economic migrants, they're refugees from horrible situations, people seeking asylum. You know, we really, that is a, is a, is a prime imperative. We've got to put more resources, you know, hire more judges to hear asylum cases, speed up, you know, work down the big backlog in the asylum cases, speed up the processing of legitimate refugee claims at the border, uh, and do a better job of distinguishing folks who are really refugees and those who are saying they are because they know that's a quicker way to get into the country. That's hard to do. But um, so uh, I know we need more immigrants, and I want to see us have a legal, a wider legal aperture for bringing folks in that connects them to the real areas of need in our economy. And on that, if I could just say a word, uh, you know, we need it. we need jobs of all kinds. You know, some people say, well, you know, just talk about high skilled immigration, and the American people will be with you. And there's some polling evidence that people are more sympathetic to bringing in high skilled workers than low skill. But I don't think that's right. I think the economy needs help at every level. Uh, when I'm not here uh, doing my day job, I'm, you'll often find me in deep rural Virginia in farming in a farm uh, community that desperately needs labor. And uh, they, they, they get it from Mexico, basically. And so, um, you know, we're, we're going to need workers at all levels of of our economy. And plus, we have you know some demographic challenges. Our our re replacement rates have slowed down. So, uh, some people think we're going to need immigrants to help pay for Social Security and Medicare. They're probably right about that too. But I want to <laughs> see a regulated system of legal immigration that's comported that comports with America's national interests, our labor market needs, and our humanitarian interest in admitting a reasonable uh, amount of the world's refugees and uh, asylees. You know, I think there's a lot for us to agree on there. And I, I think I'm certainly also in favor of, you know, expanding legal immigration. And, and it's a it's a hell of a fight to get there. But if we can do it, I think it would be just an, an enormously good thing for our country. I come from the perspective of you know, I, I haven't been in, in think tank world as long as you have. And I come from a more like academic econ background sometimes. And I'm always just looking at like, well, the research says that if you accept more immigrants, your your GDP grows faster and you're more innovative and, you know, and blah, 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 all these kind of yeah. wonderful things that we think result. And, you know, I'd, to be to be fair, I, I'm not talking, I, you know, I'm not considering politics there, but um, I, I think, I don't know, it. I think the reason we see so much illegal immigration to some extent is because the legal system is so broken. You know, there's there's who knows, 20 year waits from some countries yeah. to, to try to get a, a legal visa. And I sometimes I see these flow charts of like it's easy to immigrate, you know, to the United States legally. Just follow this flow chart. And it's something like 500 steps. And, you know, it looks right. like the uh, the Minotaur's maze from Greek mythology or whatever. It's not easy. You're right. Yeah. Uh, but but the, but there's a relationship. I mean, yeah. keep in mind that the influx of Ill people crossing illegally, in effect, uh, means they jump the line uh, for all those people who are waiting patiently in the legal ranks. Um, that's no. That's not a defense of our broken systems for admitting people legally, but it is, I think, a, a, a reality. If the immigration is always and everywhere a positive. 
economically, then clearly every country in the world should uh, throw open its borders and have unlimited immigration. Um, but of course, no country in the world ha has open borders. Uh, and I sometimes think, uh, in fact, uh, I know it because I hear them say it, but when I hear uh, sort of pro-immigrant advocate groups uh, and social justice warriors on the left uh, attacking Joe Biden, for example, uh, for trying to restrict the flow of illegal immigrants, uh, I think, well, you know, what are they arguing for? They are essentially arguing for, you know, decriminalization or open borders. But no country in the world has that. Uh, well, so I, I want to ask a, a question here because no no country has totally open borders, but there are countries that have open-ish borders or to a limited extent. You know, we can talk about the EU where, right. you know, the you can move from Poland to France to Spain to Italy to Estonia or whatever, and you can work, live wherever you want. And and that has has mostly been a, a policy success. You know, there's there's been some backlashes to that, but you know, for the most part, it's it's led to a, a lot richer continent and a lot freer people. And you know, it, it even with countries where you know France is much richer than Poland and and has a much bigger welfare state, it it, it hasn't really caused like the French welfare state to collapse in any sense. And is that something you would be interested in? Or, you know, say if there was like a free movement compact within, let's just say, Australia, Canada, UK, US, mm -hmm. would that be something where you'd, you know, no, it's open borders, I, I would reject that? Or I would be interested in exploring that with these kind of peer nations? Well, the the problem with that uh, idea is that it presupposes a preference for those countries. Yeah, fair. Some people will say, well, it's just all the, the white Anglo countries and, and fair. But, you know, if it's what we can get, you know. Well, yeah, but I, you know, look, I mean, let's let's talk about uh, Europe for a second. They have the Schengen uh, Agreement, which means that, yes, EU uh, citizens can move freely across borders to and take jobs in other EU countries. Um, so that, you know, system seems to be working uh, out, although, of course, this was the main reason that Britain left the EU, uh, that is uh, immigration and the f feeling of losing, you know, the, the, the proverbial in, uh, invasion of Polish and Eastern European plumbers and work uh, people, workers, you know, uh, was a real source of angst that turned labor voting, uh, working class voters in, uh, in Britain to the Tories. And so, Immigration was probably the prime catalyst for Brexit. So, um, and then we saw what happened when immigrants from outside the EU started, uh, or refugees really, flooding Europe, particularly Syrian refugees from the horrible war there. Uh, and that created a big upheaval in Germany and all across the continent that has now uh, been one of the uh, catalysts for the rise of populist right-wing nationalist kind of movements that are... Uh, in power in several places, uh, real nativists like you know Orban in Hungary, and mm -hmm. and frankly the the regime in Poland. So um, Italy too at this point, yeah, right. Italy is you know, and even Britain. Britain is outside of the EU and presumably doesn't have to sweat uh, uh, the Polish plumbers anymore. But they're <laughs> they're now being you know, there's, the angst there is about small boats coming across the English Channel. Mm -hmm. Which is usually African, Middle Eastern, sometimes you know South Asian refugees coming. You know, it, it's interesting because the the I I don't know fully how to account for this, but there are some countries that seem to have handled it like a lot better than other countries. You know, Italy now has a, a, a fairly far right government. You mentioned Hungary and and Poland and places like that, but I also think about like Germany, where mm -hmm. Germany took in I think more Syrian refugees than anyone else. And it was a really big problem for a while politically for Merkel uh, back when this was happening. But basically, she she stuck to her guns. And mm -hmm. I, I think just out of personal conviction that, you know, she had lived in East Germany and she was there when the wall fell and she knew what it felt like to like be like feel like your home was collapsing and you had to leave somewhere. And she stuck to her guns and she just kind of wrote it out. And she it still ended her term, you know, after her third or fourth term, incredibly popular. And her government was still popular. And and ultimately, things 
seem to have worked out there. And like the alternative for Deutschland, which is the, the right wing group there, has lost a bunch of power and they don't seem to be doing anything. And it just makes me wonder, I don't have an answer for this, but is there a way to do it which, you know, kind of negates some of that political consequence or, or is it just something you can't control or uh, I don't know? Yeah, well, it's uh, look, I mean, you're right. Uh, Germany, because of its peculiar post-war history, has always been welcoming to uh, migrants and, and particularly refugees. And they took in a huge number of people from um, from Syria, but it did spark an enormous backlash. Uh, she had to back off from the policy and assure her voters, uh, her people in Germany, that uh, they were going to start uh, curbing the flow. Um, and and as you mentioned, that that did help uh, spark the alternative for Deutschland Party, which is not exactly. But they're not they're not actually dying out uh, they're not as strong as the right is in France and Italy but they're not they're actually gaining marginally smallly small ways but the point is you know uh, what people want is regulation they want a regulated flow and so whenever you're over you know whenever you get a big influx of you know uh, refugees, uh, migrants. Remember the Haitian, you know, the various waves of Haitian and Cuban migration into Florida. Always is always provokes uh, a reaction, and and so you know, yeah, you've got to respond, and you've got to have answers, and you have to come up with ways to one try to keep people from leaving their country and coming to this country. Two, create safe, orderly, humane ways to bring them in the country. Uh, and three, convince Americans that you've got the situation under control. So much of this is about effective governance, really. And uh, when you, when it looks like it's when it looks like the decision to whether to come to America is being made just by the migrants themselves, and that we don't have anything to say about it, and our, and we're just basically open, and and anybody can come who wants to. That's when you get a public reaction, and it's it's not just a right wing and nativist reaction. It, Plenty of people uh, don't think that the breakdown of law and order and the disproportionate costs that some communities have to bear as a result is right. So I, you know, it's to me it isn't all that complicated. It's really whether you have an effective means of regulating flows, uh, because Germany has always needed to import labor. You know, they've imported many Turkish uh, migrants for decades since the Second World War. And the United States is, as I said, going to continue to need to import uh, workers. So that it's how you do it. And right now we're not doing it. You know, <laughs> you got a breakdown. You have a, a massive number of people trooping to the border. And frankly, I, I say this without malice because I think Joe Biden is a fine president who, uh, unlike his predecessor, is is responsible and and and, and empathetic. But. Uh, as the president of Mexico said, the word went out in the immigrant world that Joe Biden was the migrant president when he came into office. He reversed a bunch of Trump's things, which he should have done, uh, but he didn't put anything in, in, in place. And so, you know, the uh, uh, a kind of policy of not focusing on the problem, not grappling with it, has led to a rising tide of folks that we are not processing decently and humanely. So that's, I mean, you know, uh, we'll always be taking in immigrants. It's The question is under what terms and at, at, at what scale. And right now we aren't, we don't have any answers for the people that vote for our leaders. They don't, you know, we're not answering any of these questions. Trump came along. He had answers. They were terrible answers. Separate families. You know, basically his answer was deterrence. We're going to make our immigration laws so harsh, so punitive so uh, inhumane that people are going to want to not come. And so we're going to take small kids out of the uh, arms of their mothers. And it was horrendous, horrible, un-American. And, you know, I think people rebelled against it. Uh, you know, and I would imagine that that was that kind of extremism is one reason Joe Biden uh, handily <laughs> beat uh, Trump last time. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's not that the Republicans are doing a good job. <laughs> Are, are responsibly rising to this challenge, it's that we aren't. Yeah, you know, we, we've just uh, kind of let it uh, lie fallow for two years and get worse. And now President Biden, to his credit, has recognized he can't do that. 
Uh, and he, you know, he's you know, when you're the leader of a country, you've got to respond to public demands and, uh, for change. That's where we are now. So let's let's talk about let's talk about what what some of those things are that Biden is doing and and what can be done realistically here because you know like I said I I think we agree on a lot you know we we want there to be more legal immigration we want the pathways to be clearer and we want it to be kind of a a more a less chaotic system and, mm-hmm. and we, you know I I really appreciate that you threw in earlier that you know it needs to be all kinds of people it can't just be high high skill workers we need high skill workers working for our tech companies and founding companies. And, you know, there's a long history of like half of the fortune 500 in America is founded by immigrants or something like that. Right. But we also need, you know, farm workers. We need people picking crops. And frankly, there's uh, Americans aren't taking those jobs. Right. And so I, I really appreciate you threw that in there. But so if we agree on a lot of this, even if we, we disagree on some of the details, I'm sure exactly how much we would put in, but we're, we're moving in the right direction. You and I, how do we actually get there? Because there is, you know, the Republican Party is a is a massive impediment here. And it's I guess it's incumbent upon Democrats to have some proposal that kind of threads this needle that respects the role that immigration has in American society. It's it's the foundation of our country. We know immigrants are good for the country, but also, you know, is not going to lead to a backlash that just causes Republicans to gain power and, and they're going to make everything worse for immigrants if, if, um, if, if they get unified control of government. So do you have thoughts about like, what is the way forward? What is the politics of this and how can we make progress towards the future that, that we seem to want? Well, I do have some thoughts. I also want to be humble about it. As I said at the beginning, this is, you know, a really complex issue. It's really, it's really complicated, and um, you know. So I don't want to. I don't want anybody to interpret what I'm about to say as you know the obvious solution that's been lying there all along. Uh, we're going to have to have some tough conversations and and some trial and error to get to where we need to be. But as a first imperative, we've got to get control of the situation. Eight thousand people showing up every day at the border, overwhelming border authorities, immigration judges, asylum judges. That is. You know, we can't uh, I don't have a place to put people and take care of them. And so uh, we've got to send a very strong signal that the border is not open for business, that it's under greater control. And, you know, that's partly about more, you know, border patrol, police and so forth. It's a lot about more, you know, America's the world's greatest, has the world's greatest surveillance uh, technology. And we need to put that uh, into use on the border. Uh, but it has to do with kind of a, a strong legal regime that you know that uh, that quick, uh, more quickly processes the people that who, that do show up at the border and 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 shows them in the right direction. Some people to uh, you know asylum hearings, refugee hearings, and some people not uh, who who can't um, who don't really have a, a good basis for entering. And so uh, that that's kind of a first step in, in, in that regard. Biden has talked, you know, his his plan calls for that and for and for expediting the uh, expulsion of illegal uh, immigrants to the country, uh, because you know one does have to let the word go out to folks that uh, it's not easy to do, and you, you shouldn't take the risk of paying a smuggler's gang uh, to, to to do it um, unless you have a really strong. Uh, uh, refugee claim. Do you think Biden will get credit for that? Because, you know, even in the sense that, you know, if we say that we need to be expelling people because the political re- reality is that, like, you've, you've got to, you know, cater to where democracy, if most people want illegal immigrants expelled, we've got to do that in some sense. But, like, I, I wonder, you know, is Biden's reputation already baked in or is Democrats already baked in to, like, you know, Fox News is still going to call him the open borders president or, or whatever, regardless of how many people yeah. he's, he's tossing back over the border. Well, I think, you know, uh, eventually political reality breaks through the partisan propaganda. And if he's if 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 there's real progress, then he'll get credit for it. But, you know, look, Joe Biden has already been flamed by immigration advocate groups that seem to acknowledge no need for any kind of limit on illegal immigration. 
and he'll get that. I remember when uh, Barack Obama deported uh, more <laughs> immigrants than Donald Trump. Uh, it's partly because Trump's, you know, the, the slowed down. The, Trump and the pandemic slowed the uh, movement across the border. Was was that a was that a real like increase? Or part of me thinks that was something like there was like a they designated if you were turned away at the border, then you got counted as a deportation or something like that. I, I may be misremembering this, but you you mean uh, Obama's? Yeah, uh, like I think or? that one of those stats about like Obama deported even more people like really hinges on like some technical definition of like they changed how they were reporting deportations or something like that. Well, um, I, I can't, you know, I can't, I don't know the answer to that, but let's just, let's just posit that Obama deported a lot of people. Fair, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he got a criticized for, and he, and he got criticized for it from activists who, who I guess think we shouldn't be doing any enforcement of our laws at the border. Um, the other place we have to do this, by the way, is the workplace. Uh, and again, you know, my favorite example is Trump's golf courses, but there are many, many more where workers, uh, where employers know that they are getting illegal workers and they're bringing them in and letting them work illegally because it's cheap and they can uh, get away with it. So we need to, you know, through E-Verify and other mechanisms, do a much better job of, you know, stopping uh, that because in the end, the the jobs is the powerful magnet. And if people know, if, if people who are coming into the country illegally or want to know that uh, it's going to be really tough for them to uh, get an assumed identity and do that, then um, then that's going to be another de- deterrent to the illegal flood. Um, and then Biden is spending a lot of money. He's, uh, you know, putting a lot of money into uh, more more infrastructure on the border, more facilities for handling people, more uh judges uh, to handle these uh, refugee and asylum cases, uh, more immigration officers uh, and and border patrol. So, you know, more resources is part of the answer here. And he is uh, he's doing that. And then the third element of his plan is to uh, is to increase legal immigration uh, and He's gonna, he's gonna, and, and particularly expand this uh, a Venezuelan program called a parole program, where if you don't try to cross illegally, you can get on a list to come to the United States legally, and uh, that seemed that that program seemed to slow the number of illegal uh, Venezuelan immigrants coming to the southern border. And so Biden is extending the Venezuela parole program to include uh, immigrants from Nicaragua, Haiti, and Cuba, up to 30,000 per month, which is pretty significant, uh, and, you know, who are obviously faced with really bad uh, political situations back home. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to see 30,000 extra immigrants per month. You know, I'm I, like a, everybody knows on, who's listening to this podcast what my position is. I, you had an interesting line earlier about kind of the activists who get mad at Joe Biden. And I wanted to, you know, ask you about this because it's a common argument I hear about the difference between kind of doing activism and then trying to find like political solutions. And the argument kind of goes something like this, that, you know, if we had, you know, talked about gay marriage in this way back in, say, 1995, the, the reality would be, oh, well, gay marriage is really, really unpopular. You guys need to stop, you know, getting mad at people who oppose gay marriage. You need to stop, you know, act, being so loud about it. It's hurting us. And just kind of realize that you're losing this fight and you've got to accept reality. When, in, you know, what they would say is, I'm not trying to win the battle right now. I'm trying to change people's minds. I'm trying to change the public so that they will accept gay marriage. And, you know, in the case of gay marriage, this is something that worked really well. You know, the public over the course of a decade or two changed their minds and, and all of the, the gay rights activists won a huge victory uh, culminating in the Supreme Court decision. And so, you know, they would say, well, you know, I'm not trying to win the political fight this year. I'm trying to change the mind of the country about whether or not we should be accepting more immigrants, whether immigration is good. Do you, do you think there's any validity to that, or, or how would you respond to somebody saying that kind of thing? Well, I, I don't think the parallels between a cultural shift of that magnitude that gay marriage was and 
immigration are very strong. But let me put that aside. What I would say, uh, Jeremiah, is that activists are going to do what activists are going to do. Uh, agitation on the edges uh, does help bring about social change in this country. It always has. It always will. Uh, for good and bad, by the way. It's not always positive change. But Believe me, I, I have the activists that I'm mad at, too, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so, so you know, I'm, I'm not telling activists uh, that they should stop activa- activating. What I'm saying is uh, my message is to Democrats. How do you cobble together governing majorities and and then solve problems, solve public problems? Um, so if activists push Democrats to positions that are far at odds with minor- majority sentiment in the country, it's not really very helpful. Um, and so, you know, during the 2020 election, for example, you remember at the early phases of that president, the presidential primaries, we have what I call the progressive primary, where a whole troop of new faces, new people were running to, and they were all falling over themselves to uh, to be the progressive uh, champion. Uh, so they're embracing all kinds of you know uh, you know bold progressive ideas in quotations, uh, and, you know like uh, you know national health care and defund the police. And some of them were calling for decriminalizing immigration uh, and even uh, defunding ICE, you know, the uh, immigration uh, um, authority. So, you know, if you we've we've seen the damage done by defunding the police to Democratic candidates running in swing districts and competitive places, they've been forced to forced to say, no, that's not what I believe and bear the onus of the, you know, the fact that many people believe Democrats think it. Um, And to me, decriminalization of the borders falls into the same category, a really dumb idea that's, for which you'll never build a majority sentiment in this country. Um, People want law and order. They want, they want the laws of the country to be respected. And so I don't see a very good parallel between those two things, but I'm not arguing against activism per se, if people want to go down there and, protest uh, uh, ICE and, and, and if they want to go down the border and protest Biden's deportations or uh, fine, let, it, let them do that. The question I'm raising is how do you build a governing majority behind building a better, safer, a more humane immigration system. You're thinking about this strategic message that like leaders of the Democratic Party should be should be focusing on. Well, it's uh, the problem solvers, you know. The, 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 you know, there's a division of labor here. A- agitators and activists, you know, create ferment for change. But in the end, in a democracy, the you know the elected representatives have to make that change happen. And so, you, uh, a, a port, an important question is how can you build majority support for doing that? Mm-hmm. And that's the question that I think a lot of our friends. Pushing maximalist positions like really sh- there shouldn't be any uh, limit on immigration, legal or illegal, have to answer. I mean, it, it's interesting for me because I feel like I've taken this journey personally in that, you know, the neoliberal project and and now now it's the center for new liberalism. But we started out as, you know, a bunch of, you know, disparate activists online who just all got together. And this is before we were ever associated with PPI. And and back then, you know, we would talk about open borders a lot. We would say open borders. We would, you know, make fun jokes about open borders. And we, we were all about that because, to be honest, I am kind of an immigration maximalist. I, I will take Im- as much immigration as you will let me have. Um, and then we joined PPI. And, and now we're kind of having to play in this realm of, actual politicians and and they listen to us now and will take meetings with us which is very strange for me you know coming <laughs> from where i was a few a few years ago to be talking to members of congress you know five six times a year on the podcast now is 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 bizarre but it does mean that you know we've had to kind of think about our messaging and should we still be doing the the maximalist activist thing or should we be moderating and you know, I, I guess I'm conceding a little bit of the point here in that I still believe I, we should have as much immigration as possible, but I don't think we've like tweeted anything about open borders in, in more than a year at this point. I, we, we, 
I, I try to stay away from that language now because I, <laughs> I kind of recognize I don't think it's the most helpful language to get what I want in the end. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And, you know, uh, there's no bigger fan of the new liberals than me. And so I appreciate that, you know, that this is a, can be a difficult conversation, particularly when, you know, as you guys, I think we're really getting going, you know, Donald Trump was there and Stephen Miller was there. And these are odious people who... I do think Donald Trump long-term has given a lot of energy to the, the yeah. we should have more immigration movement. If we're just trying to convince the public, I think yeah. long-term his views are going to backfire. There's, that's how radicalize the other side's views is what I'm saying. And because, uh, you know, he was so loathsome that, that, you know, it pushed people to positions that uh, were the direct opposite. And that was, that felt good and maybe was kind of morally satisfying. But in the end, you got to make things happen in the world. I mean, here, here's a terrible analogy. So Donald Trump says uh, that he uh, he uh, declassified documents simply by thinking it. Well, I would say to my activist friends, you know, you don't ordain social justice simply by wishing for it or demanding it. <laughs> uh, you know, somehow uh, we have to make changes in law and policy to create the kind of decent immigration system the country needs. And so that's just the practical, you know, PPI, we're radically pragmatic. And that's just the pragmatic problem that we're grappling with. Uh, everybody has their role in this debate, and that's ours. Are there any other policies you think that that have promise here? We we talked about the um, the program that was initially for Venezuelans, but now is being expanded to, you know, Nicaraguans and Cubans or whatever, where, you know, up to 30,000 a month, which, you know, I'm Sometimes I'm skeptical we're actually going to hit those numbers because sometimes they'll say like, oh, we're accepting X number of refugees. And then a year later, oh, they only ended up taking like 20 percent of that number. But but like, let's assume that they get mostly 30,000 a month and it actually works. That would that would be great. Other than that program, are there any other, you know, kind of quick fixes that you think would be good in terms of, you know, they they respect the system. They they ha have kind of a, a law and order component, but they also allow for immigrants to be coming to the country. And I'm just wondering, are there any kind of like wonky fixes that you think are actually possible? We're, we're not going to get big immigration reform while Republicans have one of the House. You know, that seems really that seems yeah. really far fetched. But I, I wonder if there's like quieter moves like this one that you mentioned, like that, that we should be on the lookout for. Well, I uh, look I, um, I to do justice to Biden's proposal. I should also say that he's almost tripling the number of refugees from Latin America that are going to be admitted uh, to to this country. And that's a good thing. And so, um, you know, Biden's proposal is is not sweeping enough by any means, but it, you know, it generally is points in, in, in reasonable directions and is a good point of departure. I really have focused for years on cracking down on uh, employers who knowingly hire uh, illegal workers. And um, so I think, uh, you know, our Republican friends never been that interested in that. Uh, you know, the big employer groups have not, not wanted to have uh, ICE, uh, you know, agents uh, swarming their workplaces. But uh, it seems to me that that's part of the law and order challenge, not just uh, securing the border, which the Republicans are fixated on. Um, but um, here's what I guess I'll maybe if I can just tweak the question a little. I think Biden's proposals are sensible and we should embrace them, but they're just the beginning of a discussion and securing the border is just the beginning of the discussion. Uh, what really needs to happen is that we modernize our immigration policy. As I said earlier, it dates from 1965. You know, when I was in 1970, when I was a young guy, um, there, I think the foreign-born population was about 4.7 percent of uh, of the country, and and now it's it, it's huge. It's uh, uh, I'm not I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the number is today, but it's much much. I think it's about 18 percent. It's much much higher than it was then, and that was a result of the 1965 law. Um, and we haven't really re, we haven't really rethought what we're trying to accomplish in immigration policy. In a fundamental, in fundamental way, since then, and that policy is strongly oriented around, you know, family unification, uh, relatives coming over and joining relatives in the United States. And look, that's a good thing. Families are great. 
Families are also strong economic units. But um, most countries that are doing this right, and I think some are, I think Canada and Australia are have really um, good examples of, of orderly, disciplined uh, immigration policies that are open and, and humane, but are regulated. Uh, but they're work-oriented, too. They, they lay much greater emphasis on matching workers to economic need, and we need to do that. And that will help build support for more uh, immigrants. Uh, we have proposed at PPI, I think, a, a very smart idea, which is to take this alphabet soup of visa programs. You know, there are H-1Bs and any number of visa programs, almost uh, two, two dozen of them, that are sort of, you know, targeted at this interest or that. You know, who needs labor? You know, it, it's more specifically in various industries have a proprietary interest in keeping these visa programs going. But they're really complicated. They set up a kind of a, you know, a, a, a difficult uh, course for immigrants to navigate. And we ought to get rid of them and consolidate into a one willing worker visa. And that visa would be tied to uh, a job offer from a U.S. company that has gone to some lengths to show that it cannot fill that job with you know, domestic labor. Um, and because I, and I'm sure we can do that. I don't think that'll be, uh, you know, I, mean, I, I don't think that's beyond our our ability to do. Uh, and then uh, you have a very powerful logic for expanding legal immigration. Everybody who comes in on a willing worker visa is matched to an open to an open job. Um, you know, we'll, I would like to see how that works. Some would argue well, that won't be enough, and that doesn't answer the problems of uh, asylees and, and refugees, and that's true. But it does seem to me that reorienting a program that now uh, about 60, about almost two-thirds, about 62% of immigrants now come to the United States through the family unit reunification portals because they have a relative here. Some have direct family, you know, nuclear family relatives, Many have just, you know, cousins and aunts and uncles and so forth. Um, and, uh, you know, that it, the system should be tilted the other way, in my judgment, toward uh, the, the national interest in assuring a steady supply of the workers we need to fill positions in our economy, help yeah. us grow. We're coming up on time, but we've got time for just a couple more questions for you. One thing that I'd love to ask about, because I'm thinking now about the political realities that we've been discussing and, and how do you frame immigration in such a way that it, it might become more popular over time? How do you frame immigration in a way that will not cause backlash? And I know this is one of your one of your favorite people, uh, but Matt Iglesias wrote a book called One Billion Americans. And the, the thesis of that book is that he wants America to be really strong and powerful. He thinks it's better for the world than, you know, that America is the superpower than China is the superpower. And one of the basic points is that the more people you have, you know, China is only strong because they have 1.3 billion people. And through a combination of increased immigration and better family, you know, planning, having more children kind of thing, if we could get to a billion people in America by 2100, I think is his, you know, in, in the next 80 years, can we increase ourselves to a billion people? That would be really good for America. And it's like this very like pro-America rah-rah nationalist argument for immigration almost do you do you see any promise there or do you think that that has any validity or, or are you more skeptical you don't think that would actually work as a as an argument to get people on board i think it's bizarre and nuts uh, no i don't think that's the way to rally american people around a sensible immigration policy i think the whole premise is uh is dubious um you know, uh, uh, America was never stronger than when we had about 140 million people and we defeated Germany and Japan. You know, I I don't know. Uh, this this idea that we should want more, you know, the world's biggest population because that would make us the strongest country in the world is just bizarre to me. I don't get it. So, no, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, uh, uh, I, I, <laughs> I wouldn't take a nationalistic argument uh, to, uh, there. I mean, look, you know, we, we, you know. fair enough, fair enough. I, I wanted to ask just because it's you know it's popular among our crowd um, who are who are very pro America, but you know, well, go to go to Arizona and ask communities that cannot get drinking water. 
uh, you know, uh, how great it would be to see the, the population of Arizona double, triple, and quadruple over the next uh, century. I don't get it. I mean, just the sheer, this is not an immigration question, but it's a resource question. Uh, and, uh, you know, the all, all that implies the, the the incredible use of resources and energy and uh, space and, you know, things that uh, uh, are going to strain the the earth. It's, it's, it, to me, it's an ecologically bizarre argument. But in any event, no, I can't see much merit in that being the way to build uh, support for for uh, reasonable immigration policy. We're going to have immigration and we're going to have uh, uh, people coming to this country for as long as we're around. Uh, and we'll have it basically on uh, on economic grounds. Our our demographics are shifting. We uh, and 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 they'll change over time too. But for now, we we'll need more rather than fewer. And when that changes, you know, look, one of the reasons uh, we didn't have a lot of immigration after World War II is they had a baby boom, right? Uh, of which I'm a part. So, uh, and the other reason is that the, the Republicans have put very restrictive uh, immigration legislation on the books back in the 20s. Um, so uh, we will, we will go, we're going to have immigrants. And the question is, what are the terms? How many and on what terms do they come to the country? That's always the question. You can't evade it. You can't not answer it. Uh, so I don't see how saying more, more, more you know, to a country that already thinks it's sort of out of control is going to uh, convince reasonable people to get behind uh, an immigration uh, change. So, um, you know, but I don't think, again, the Democrats have the upper hand in, a deba in any debate on this if, if only they will use it, because we're not a nativist party. We're not a party of closed borders. Uh, we understand that economically speaking and because of our liberal and open outlook traditionally, you know, we've, 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 we've prospered through immigration and it's made us a stronger, more diverse but, and stronger democracy kind of a kind of a world nation uh but that's not an argument for just the you know open borders either <laughs> that all happened under varying regimes of uh regulation and restriction that uh no i mean arguably the the early history of this country was open borders but you know that's yeah. that's obviously a very different time i'm sure you'd argue but <laughs> you have a you have a huge uh, continent uh not quite empty but uh uh, underpopulated by, in comparison with where all the migrants are coming from, it was a de facto policy until around the 1890s when we really started to pass more restrictive laws. But, mm -hmm. but you know, even then we had, as you pointed out earlier, you know, it was very controversial. Immigration is always controversial. People you know, have a natural tendency to, you know, fear the other, and uh, so you know, uh, when when other groups come in, there's always a reaction. I think the the question of you know absorbing immigration is one that uh, those who want to open the floodgates conveniently evade. You know, democratic societies have to be responsive to the people that uh, you know uh, live in them, and you know they they need an absorbable pace of immigration. And what we're hearing now is that you know with, with these record numbers trooping to the border, that's not what we, they think we have. Well, I, I'm glad that we agree on a lot. I know we're probably never going to agree on everything here, but, you know, I, I really liked having this discussion because, you know, I do think we agree on more than we disagree on. We both want the system to, you know, make more sense generally. We, we want to avoid perceptions of chaos because I think people really respond when they see like pictures of chaos at the border. We both agree immigration is good and, and we should we, we need more of it now, frankly. And it's just a question of how do we build a coalition for that? So yeah. a new a new consensus in the country, yeah. uh, because in the end, and it, it'll be hard work, you know. Yeah, yeah that it isn't going to be easy at all, and it's a long it's a long uh, unfolding proposition. But I don't know what the alternative. The alternative is to be stuck and just have a breakdown. Which, frankly, the breakdown. That's the other thing I should say is that you know. The breakdown uh, favors Republicans. You know, they don't want the immigration. So uh, when the public turns against the enterprise because they think it's out of control and the laws aren't being enforced and respected, that's the opportunity for Republican demagogues like Trump and Stephen Miller. That's, that's another important point I think our friends on the left ought to wrestle with. 
Yeah. Well, and like I said, I'm I'm still a guy who wants as much immigration as I can get. But I know that, uh, you know, I've kind of had this journey over the last few years of figuring out what language is actually helpful for that and, and what language is not helpful. And ultimately, we, we, we've got to deal in realities. And hopefully we hopefully we are able to make progress on this. Well, Jeremy, I just want you to I just want you to move to Mumbai and we'll just talk after six months or so. <laughs> I want to thank my guests today, uh, Will Marshall, president of PPI. Will, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you, Jeremy. Great, thoughtful conversation. And I appreciate the opportunity to engage uh, civilly on a hot topic. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. Want to learn more about the Progressive Policy Institute? Follow us on Twitter at PPI and on Facebook at Progressive Policy Institute, or go to our website at progressivepolicy.org. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen and check back for new episodes. We'll talk with you soon.